0: A couple of weeks ago, I participated in the Around the Bay Road Race, which is becoming a bit of a tradition uh, for my family. It is a ridiculously grueling uh, uh, race, uh, 30 kilometers around Hamilton uh, Harbor. And uh, I was kind of, you know, racing to finish. I had the grandmothers, you know, nipping at my heels. Um, and so I, I'm, not any great, uh, I'm not any great runner. But one of the reasons why uh, I like to run in this race is because when I was a kid, I used to be a one of these. And uh, I used to pass out water to the, uh, to the runners as they were going down uh, near my neighborhood as I was growing up in, uh, in Hamilton. And... and I didn't think it was that big a deal when I was doing it uh, back then. But believe me, you get a couple kilometers under your belt. And I know they say that water is sort of scentless and tasteless. But there is nothing sweeter. There is nothing more rewarding than a cup of lukewarm tap water in a disposable cup. You know, there's something about thirst. It's one thing. That every human being has in common. I mean, there's so much that divides us in today's day and age, isn't there? I mean, there's so much that's unique and different about every single human being. And yet the one thing that we all share together is no one can live without water. It takes up 70% of our body. We, we can't go five or six days with, with, without it. We desperately need water. And so this Easter weekend, we are going to be spending some time where Jesus talked about this thirst. He, He talked about a thirst for water, but he talked about a thirst that goes even deeper. You see, not only does every single human being have a thirst for water in the physical sense, but we all have a deeper thirst. And that's what Jesus addresses in John chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to be coming up and down the aisle right now. It's our desire that everyone would have a chance to follow along. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. And so we want to, we want to, put, we want to put the text in front of you. So just raise your hand. And, hey, and if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Happy, uh, happy Easter. And so John chapter 7 actually takes place about six months before the events of the original Easter weekend. Six months before Jesus was arrested and crucified and buried and rose again. He finds himself in the city of Jerusalem and he says these profound words. John chapter 7 beginning at verse 37 it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, these are Jesus' words. These are not my words. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to pray right now. I want to invite you to pray with me as well. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're just here because a family member invited you or your neighbor kept bugging you to come. But let's have, a, let's have an honest moment. Whether you believe in God or not, would you just join with me in bowing your heads and asking him to speak to you through his word. Maybe you aren't even sure that he exists. Maybe you would ask him right now, just to, I don't know if you're real, but I'm gonna ask you right now that you would show yourself to me through your word. So let's ask him to do that. Our heavenly father, this place has been filled with beautiful sounds uh, for your praise. And Lord, I pray right now that in a very powerful and a very real way, that what's about to happen right now would not simply be a lecture on religion. It would not merely be a sermon, but that it would be your voice speaking through your word, communicated by your servant, Lord. And so God, we ask that you would do what only you can do in this moment. I pray especially for those, Lord, who, uh, who don't know you. God, that you would speak to them, not merely to their ears, but right down to the very core of their being, to their soul, God, and that you would bring about transformation for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 37 describes the context that was happening during the last day of the feast. Earlier in John chapter 7, we're told that this was happening during the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. The Hebrew word is Sukkot. And uh, our Jewish neighbors, you might see in, in late September, early October, you might see a little tent or a lean-to set up in their backyard or their front yard. Here's some of them in the city of Jerusalem. A, a sukkot simply means a, a, a temporary structure. So here you know, balconies of apartment buildings, all the whole city in, in the fall in the city of Jerusalem is filled with these temporary uh, structures. And the purpose of this festival, it was a week-long festival, kind of similar to our Thanksgiving, lots of feasting, having family members over. They would actually have their meals and sometimes sleep in these temporary shelters in their backyards or in their balconies. And the purpose was to remind them that how they used to live when they were wandering through the wilderness, when God had miraculously rescued the people from Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea, then for four decades, for 40 years, they were camping out in the wilderness. And to remember that, to commemorate that, to give thanks to God for his provision, the people would set up these little tents to remind themselves of this is how we used to live. This was everyday life for us. And now look at what God has done. Look where we're living now. It was a means of giving thanks and praise to God. And it's on the last day of this feast, while people are getting busy, you know, taking down their their shelters, their booths, that Jesus did something that was very uncharacteristic for him. It says here in the passage that he stood up and cried out. That wasn't really Jesus' way of of doing things. Uh, Jesus tended to have one-on-one conversations with with people, he, he, It was even prophesied about him that he wasn't someone who was going to come and raise his voice and, and, and stir the pot. But on this particular occasion, Jesus was so burdened to communicate what he wanted to, to share about thirst. That he stood up and he raised his voice. And he says, if anyone thirsts. If anyone thirsts. The first thing that Jesus points out. Is that all of us have inside of us this relentless dissatisfaction. This relentless dissatisfaction. It's fitting that Jesus brought this up during the Feast of Booths. You see, as they were there in their temporary shelters out in their backyard or their balcony. And they were talking together, sharing meals. They would share stories about the history of their people. And how God had rescued them. And they would particularly share stories about moments in their history when they were in the wilderness. And a lot of the key moments in their history surrounded water. When they first got out of Egypt, one of the first places they came to was a place called Mara. Mara means bitter. And they came, there was this big pool of water, but they tried to drink it, but they couldn't. It was undrinkable. So God told them to like throw a tree branch in there or a log or something like that. And the, the water was miraculously made sweet. And so people celebrated that miracle during the Feast of Booths. There was also those other times where, where they, there was no water to be seen. And then out of a rock, water came gushing out. And so there were all of these celebrations about how God, how the people were thirsting in the wilderness and how God had miraculously given them a drink to satisfy their thirst. But as I said, Jesus isn't merely talking about physical water. He's talking about something that goes deeper. You see, you can imagine that when the Israelites were living in the wilderness for 40 years, every single day, setting up their booth. Taking it down, walking to the next place, setting up camp, taking it down. I mean, some of us camp by choice. That's a little crazy, isn't it? But they had, they had four, 40 years where they had no choice. And you can imagine on their mind, man, once we get to the promised land, once we get permanent homes, everything will be okay. But the Feast of Booths was this reminder, it it, it really pointed out this relentless dissatisfaction because when they got to the promised land, was everything okay? Did all their problems go away when they moved into permanent cities and permanent homes? No. And doesn't that happen for us? Don't we go through school just thinking, man, if I just get into that college program or that university program, then I'll be... Then I'll be satisfied. If I, if I only make that sports team or, 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 that, or that club, then, then I'll be satisfied. And you end up getting into the school and making the sports team, but then you start thinking about grad school. And then, and then you say, well, if I only can get that degree, and if, if only I could get secured that job, and then you get the job, and then you start thinking, if only I could be promoted. And it just goes and it goes and it goes, doesn't it? And we're never satisfied. We think, if I can just leave these temporary structures behind, then everything will be fine. But Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, and the truth is, everyone thirsts. Because we expect the things of this earth to give us something that they can't give us. Jesus was the master of the metaphor, but but this particular metaphor is lost on us because we have modern plumbing, right? Right? We're thirsty, we just go to the tap or we go to the, we go to the fridge because it's, it's too hard apparently to, to walk over to the tap and turn it on. Now we just got to press our cup up against, a, up against our fridge. And so it's, it's, we have no concept of what it's like to live far from fresh water. But, but think about what these people would be hearing Jesus say. It's not just are you thirsty and do you need a drink, but, but access to fresh water, that was a game changer for people. First and foremost, obviously, it, it led to satisfaction. You're no longer thirsty. In, in the immediate moment, you're satisfied. But it also led to a sense of security. Security. Because you, you knew, well, now that I'm here, I'm going to have a constant supply of fresh water. The people in the wilderness, they didn't have that. God miraculously provided it. Now they're in the city of Jerusalem. The Gihon Spring is flowing down into the pool of Siloam. And so they had access to water. During this feast, they even had a water ceremony where they would take a pitcher from the pool of Siloam and walk it over to the temple and pour it at the altar as a means of giving thanks to God for his provision that they had access to fresh water now, that they had satisfaction, that they had security. And listen, guys, at the end of the day, all of us, every human being, we're not just thirsting for physical water. We're also thirsting on a deeper level. We just want satisfaction. And we want security. We want to be satisfied. At the end of the day, every person on planet Earth just wants to be happy. They just want, they have that thirst, that longing, and they reach out for something to drink hoping that it would satisfy that longing for happiness. And listen, every human being at the end of the day just wants that sense that everything is going to be okay. We want satisfaction, but we also want security. And maybe you're here today, and rather than satisfaction and security, there's emptiness and there's anxiety. Maybe you feel insecure and unfulfilled. You're not alone. This is a universal longing inside each and every one of us. This is something that every human being experiences. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and so many other brilliant works of literature. This is how he describes it. He says, most people, if they ever had learned to really look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world there are all sorts of things in this world that, that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. There was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The Christian says, Christian, or creatures are, born, are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger while there's such a thing as food. A duckling desires to swim while there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire while there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast and he said, if anyone thirsts, I have the real thing. But it goes deeper than that. He doesn't just say, I have the real thing. He says, I am The real thing. And so after Jesus exposes this relentless dissatisfaction that dwells inside of each and every human heart, then Jesus gives this really audacious invitation. I mean, he he gives this promise. He invites us to come to him. Now before we talk about what it means to, to come to him to receive that satisfaction, what have you been coming to. Maybe it's success at at work and wanting people to know that you're on the job and that you can be counted on and and yet deep down you feel like a fraud. You're, You're one bad decision away from being exposed and it all falling apart. Maybe that's where you've been looking for satisfaction Maybe you've been looking for satisfaction in your appearance. If I can just hit the gym, get a little more swole. You know, if I can just hit the, I, I got to do that. If I could just hit the, if I could just hit the salon, if, if, if I could just make myself more beautiful. Then people would, would look to me and then I would be satisfied. And yet we end up feeling weak. We end up feeling Ugly. We end up feeling like there's someone more muscular, someone more beautiful. There's always something more. It never satisfies. Some of us spend our whole lives trying to accumulate things, thinking that we will be satisfied. We see another Amazon box dropped off at our neighbor's porch and we think, "Oh, I I didn't even know that existed, but now I, I need to have that. And then it comes and it, it, it excites us for, for a matter of minutes and then we're back online trying to find something else to buy. None of these things satisfy us. You see, because the thirst inside of us is an infinite thirst. And these are all finite things that cannot bring us the satisfaction But really just stop and think. If you've never really looked at the life of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus, really consider what he's saying here. He says, If anyone thirsts, come to me. He doesn't say, If anyone thirsts, go and do good deeds, which is what other religions say. He doesn't say, If anyone thirsts, go and meditate. He doesn't say, if anyone thirsts, go and and get involved in a church and all the rituals that go along with that. He doesn't say, if anyone thirsts, go to a seminar about work-life balance. No, he says, if anyone thirsts, come. But he says, come to me. Do you see what he's promising here? He himself, he's not telling people, What the answer is. He's telling people he is the answer. There's a huge difference between those two things. Which is why when we talk about world religions. And what they have in common. I'm not denying that world religions have some overlap. Golden rule. All of that sort of thing. But Jesus creates this crisis for the religious pluralist. Because. Jesus doesn't merely say, I'll show you the way. He says, I am the way. He says, I'll show you where you can get a drink. No, he says, I am what will satisfy your thirst. And if you've never really taken a close look at Jesus, it's time you did. Because he's not merely just a religious leader, he is God in the flesh. He was fully God and came to this earth. And he himself knew what it was to thirst. He asked a woman from Samaria at a well, can I have a drink? Because he was, he was legitimately thirsty. He was fully human. And on the cross, he was, he was thirsting. He was fully human and also fully God. Now some of you try to just cast that aside and say, no, 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 no. That's, that's, We're just blowing some of the things that Jesus said out of proportion. Listen, this is just one of many things where Jesus says something that no merely human being could say and still be a good human being. You can't say that he's good if he himself is saying that he personally is the answer to the deepest thirst and longing inside every single human heart. Either he's delusional or he's a horrible deceiver. Those are the only options. Or you take seriously what he's saying here. One of the ways that you can do that, Deborah mentioned our Christianity Explored course that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's happening during our 9 o'clock service. If you have children, you can still check them into our childcare, And it's an opportunity for you in a small group setting to get all of your questions answered. And, and to look at what Jesus said at face value, everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Well, let's let Jesus tell us about who He is and what He's done. And so, I invite you to to, to sign up for that class and take a close look at who Jesus is, because He invites us to come and to drink. He promises this kind of satisfaction. How do you come to him? How do you experience this kind of satisfaction? Look at verse 38. It says, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he gives, he gives an audacious invitation to satisfy our relentless dissatisfaction. And then thirdly, the, the result is this a miraculous transformation. A miraculous transformation. He says that the people who believe in him, who believe that he came as God in the flesh and that he suffered and died on the cross for our sins, the people that believe in him will have their heart transformed from the inside out. From their heart will flow rivers of living water. And Jesus premises that statement by saying, as the scriptures have said, when Jesus uses that term scriptures, he's referring to the, the Old Testament uh, books of the Bible that, that, that were written hundreds of years before Jesus came, and oftentimes Jesus is quoting direct verses, word for word, to show how what he has come to do is a, is a direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies or predictions. Now, in this case, Jesus is speaking more in general, because there's too many verses about water. And satisfaction for Jesus just to zero in on one. But the Holy Spirit who inspired the the Old Testament uses water as a powerful metaphor to help us understand what's gone wrong in our world and how to make it right. The prophet Jeremiah recorded God saying this. God said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And have hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God here is describing in one simple sentence what's gone wrong in our world. He describes himself as a fountain of living water. Picture a, a gushing geyser. Just exploding out of the ground. Abundance of water. And God says, this is the essence of sin two evils. One is to turn away from God, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden, to turn away from the fountain of living water, and then to get a shovel and to dig out of the ground a cistern, which is like, like a water retention pond for drinking, but it's a broken cistern that can't hold any water. It all leaks out, and so rather than going back to the fountain... We are trying to satisfy our thirst with this broken cistern. We're down on our hands and knees, sucking on the dirt, trying to find some sort of moisture. It's like Tantooine. And yet, God, all the while, is this living fountain available to us. So Jeremiah highlights that, and then the prophet Isaiah starts to give promises and predictions about how God's going to make this right. Listen to what Isaiah said, and tell me if this sounds like Jesus and his life. The eyes of the blind shall be open, check. And the ears of the deaf unstopped, check. And the lame man shall leap like a deer, check. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy, Check. This is a prediction about what will happen when Jesus comes. And then it says, For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus was going to, metaphorically speaking, bring water in places where you would not expect water. The prophet Isaiah goes on in Isaiah chapter 44 or 41 when the poor and the needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Water where it's not supposed to be. Water in our dry and parched hearts. So Jesus says the scripture is fulfilled. The promise that was given, not not physical water in the physical city of Jerusalem, but water in our hearts, living water that flows out of our hearts. It says out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is exceptionally Profound in light of what Jesus had to say about our hearts. Jesus spoke very candidly, very frankly, about the condition of every human heart. In Mark chapter 7, this is what Jesus had to say about our hearts. He says, from within, out of the heart of man or the heart of woman, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus would really not be welcomed at a faculty of sociology or psychology in our present universities. Because psychologists and sociologists love to say, well, the reason why you have dysfunction in your life is because of something that your parents did. Or something that society did. Or some sort of uh, historically driven oppression that needs to be overturned. It's not ultimately your fault. Jesus looks inside every single human heart and says, you are responsible for your own behavior. When you get angry, it's not because someone made you angry. You get angry because there's anger already there in your heart. When you are filled with lust so that it consumes you and leads to so much dysfunction and sin. It's not because we live in a pornographied culture. It's because the sin of adultery and lust is already in your heart. And it's until we come to grips with that. That then unless we come to grips with that we will not be able to experience the kind of transformation that Jesus promises. It says whoever believes in me. Whoever believes statements like what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. But if you do believe in, in him, when you step away from the broken cistern of your sin that is not satisfying and when you turn to the living water that he promises, then you will see your heart transformed. It's a miraculous transformation. There's a guy in the New Testament named Saul. His, he was also called Paul. Paul. He was totally opposed to Jesus. And yet there was a miraculous transformation in his heart. And he talked about the work of the Spirit. When the Spirit came into his life because he believed in Jesus. This is how he describes the Spirit. Look look at this verse in contrast to what Jesus said in Mark 7. So Mark 7 talks about sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and sensuality and envy and slander, pride and foolishness. The Apostle Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. That's the miraculous transformation that Jesus makes available to us. Because Jesus promised the Spirit. Jesus doesn't just offer us a cup, He offers us a river. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it's not merely something that just comes into us and we keep it to ourselves. No, it also flows out of us and has an impact on our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our nation and the world. It's not meant to just stay with us. Then the narrator clarifies in verse 39, 39, Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's talking about the arrival of the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells inside of every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ and produces that kind of fruit. But John is very intent on recording sequence and time. We've been going through this this whole book. The reason why we're in John chapter 7, verse 37 today in our church is because last week we're at John chapter 7, verse 36. And that's just how we do things at Harvest. We just teach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And John is always intent upon making reference to time. And Jesus in the gospel of John is always saying, my hour has not come. It's not time for me to be glorified yet. And here John makes note of that. The hour has not come for Jesus to be glorified Now, spoiler alert, jumping ahead to John chapter 12, Jesus makes it clear, now now the time has come. And this is what he says. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What does it mean for Jesus to be glorified? You would think, now he's going to be crowned as king. Now he's going to ascend into heaven. Now everyone is going to bow down and worship him. Surely that must be be what it means for Jesus to be glorified. But again, Jesus uses another metaphor. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus, when he talked about being glorified, talked about his death. He talks about how you, know, you have a little funeral for the seed and the seed goes in the ground and it's, and it's buried. And because the seed dies, because it is buried, that seed is able to, to produce. And Jesus says, when I die as a substitute for sin, I am going to produce the opportunity for people to be made right with God. To have their sins forgiven. Forgiven. One other thing that's highly unique about Christianity when you compare it to the other world religions is that Christians actually commemorate and celebrate the shaming and beating and wounding and killing of their leader. We call it his glorification. And that's why Last Friday is called Good Friday. Because we know, listen, if that's all that happened, that would be a problem. But he didn't stay dead. He rose three days later here on Easter Sunday. So when Jesus says that he was glorified, he was, he was glorified when he was arrested and stripped and beaten. He was glorified when people spat in his face and scourged him with whips. He was he was. He was glorified when he carried his cross. He was glorified when they put spikes in his hands and in his feet. He was glorified when they put a crown of thorns on his head. When they hung him on a cross to suffocate to death. He was glorified when he was laid in a cold, dark tomb. But he was also glorified. When the ground began to shake, he was also glorified when that stone. Was rolled away from the tomb. He was also glorified when he began breathing. He was also glorified when his eyes were open. He was also glorified when he walked out of that grave. He was glorified when he conquered death, when he defeated Satan, when he rescued us from hell. He was glorified when he appeared to his disciples. He was glorified when he showed his wounds to doubting Thomas. He was glorified when he appeared to more than 500 and was glorified when he ascended into heaven. This is our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, the sin-atoning, death-defeating, heart-transforming, nail-scarred, life-giving Son of God. And he is speaking to you today, and he is saying, if anyone thirsts, Now imagine you're running in a road race and you come to a table and a bunch of teenagers who are passing out cups. What if someone handed you a root beer float? A little bit of A&W, a little bit of Breyers vanilla ice cream. Mmm. But that's not what you need, is it, in that moment? What if it was a, a cup full of chocolate chip cookie dough might be tempting but you know ultimately that's going not going to help you what if someone offered you a cup of antifreeze what if someone offered you a cup of cottage cheese i'm not sure what's worse antifreeze or cottage cheese you see we're all going through this life thirsty And everywhere we turn, someone's passing us a cup. Some of it's pure poison. Some of it is, it's a good thing. But it's not ultimately going to give you what you need. Jesus cried out in a loud voice on the last day of that feast to make it as clear as can be. It's been my desire to try to make it as clear as can be. Jesus is passing you a cup today. He's saying, come and drink. He's saying, believe in me and receive the gift of eternal life. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Let's ask him uh, to help us in this moment. Some of you might not be accustomed to the spiritual discipline of prayer. But some of you have really heard God's voice speak to you today. And so I, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer that will help you declare that you believe in Jesus. If you want to follow him, if you believe that he can truly satisfy your every longing, if, if you truly believe that he came to suffer and die for you, then I want to invite you to, to pray with me right now. And you can just agree with what I'm saying or repeat after me or say it in your own words. Let's pray to him right now. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe that you came from heaven to earth to live as one of us. I believe that you came and were crucified to bear the punishment that I deserve for my sin. And I confess to you right now that out of my heart comes all kinds of vile evil. And I want, Lord God, your spirit to cleanse my heart. I want living water in my heart, Lord God. So I confess these things to you. Things that I've said that I never should have said. Things that I've done that I never should have done. Thoughts that have that have entered into my Mind and and rather than casting them aside, I entertain them, Lord evil, vile, wicked thoughts. Not to mention, God, all of the sins of omission, the, the times where there were good things I should have done or should have said, but I didn't. I pray for your forgiveness, I commit to following you. And for those of us who have made that decision in the past, whether it be a week ago or a decade ago or whenever it may be, Lord, we confess to you that we have so often reached for cups that do not satisfy. And we want to repent for those times where we have sought satisfaction in something other than you and your glory. God, we want to drink deeply from the well that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.